Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. At The Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Hi, this is Paul Rubens, and you're listening to The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gammon, a Pantheon podcast. Pantheon Podcasts presents, from Hollywood, California, The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gammon. You are invited to join the Hollywood princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaming as she brings you The Devil's Music. Hi, this is Pleasant Gaming. Welcome to The Devil's Music a Pantheon podcast where rock and roll meets the occult. For those of you that don't know me, I do a lot of stuff. I'm a dancer, actor, tarot reader, and a best-selling author with eight books out. I got one on the way, too. Look for my new memoir, Rock and Roll Witch, on Punk Hostage Press. You might have seen me acting or dancing in music videos, feature films, and documentaries. In fact, look for me in the new GoGo stock. To find out more about me or to book a tarot reading, please go to pleasantgaming.com or check out my Instagram, Princess of Hollywood. All one word, baby. I post there a lot. I'm really happy to be part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Everyone at Pantheon tells stories about the music we love so much. There's like 50 podcasts. Find them all on Pantheon, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio.com, Pandora, anywhere you get your favorite podcast fix. 
head on over to pantheonpodcast.com and share a show with a friend. And I'll put a spell on you, baby. Hey, this is Pleasant Gaiman. Welcome to The Devil's Music. Today, my guest is just flabbergasting. We're really old friends, and you'll see by the horrifying stories that we tell. Um, She's an author. She's a magic maker. She's a dancer. She's probably the only person in the history of Harvard University that had her stage name, Princess Selena de la Luna. On her, on her diploma, <laughs> um, she's wild. She's lived all over the globe. She's lived in Florence, Martha's Vineyard, New Orleans, Boston, Mexico City, Paris. She's a showgirl. She's a contortionist, and we've been partners in crime for years. Please welcome Marcy Darling. Hey, Hi. how are you? <laughs> The laughing is going to start already. I can see. (laughs) (laughs) I love your laugh. Likewise. Um, So we've known each other a really long time and we met through dancing, but we were not like your average everyday dancers. You were doing burlesque and contortion and belly dance. And I was doing belly dance and burlesque. So, um, Let's start off just like talking about some of those stories, just so the audience can get um, get an idea of the level of psychosis we're both dealing with here. <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, my partner was a contortionist. I was a contortionist illusionist, meaning I rolled around on the floor balancing my partner while she did all the hard work. And people thought I was a contortionist. <laughs> people would always come up to me after shows and say, wow, you're so flexible. And I would just smile because actually Kim did all the work. I just well, balanced her. Yeah, but you, I mean, I saw you doing a lot of rolling around at after parties. So I don't know if that's, uh, if your statement is exactly legit. <laughs> um, we, we met when we were both working at Arab clubs in Los Angeles in the nineties. And I'm telling you, even though the Gulf war had, uh, you know, was going on then it was nuts. We were dan- dancing for like Saudi royalty and, um, you know, like people that had, had come over and settled, um, come over from the Middle East and settled in Los Angeles. And they'd been like, you know, massive scholars or like, you know, very, very famous in the, in their own countries. And then they were, they were working as like used car dealers or insurance salespeople and stuff. But that one of the main nightclubs we were working in was called Al Andalus. And this was when you could smoke in nightclubs. And this was when nobody cared if you brought children into nightclubs. So there'd be like a wedding there and there'd be like, 
you know, 15 kids passed out on the chairs and it would be 3 a.m. and people would be drinking, quote, quote, Arabic coffee, which was actually scotch poured into coffee cups. There's lots of in this I wish I was in this with people grooving in the sun. Marcy had a car that was like, it was like a vintage 60s pale pink VW bug with fuzzy dice hanging from the rearview mirror. And this was before fuzzy dice were, you know, were like available widely. And um, she had tried to paint a castle on the, um, on the side of the, the car in house paint. And then it didn't come out that good. So she threw glitter on it and the car was always breaking down. And I was driving a really old Comet that was always breaking down. So there'd be these patrons showing up in like Porsches and and, um, Mercedes Benz and in limos. And anytime the parking lot attendant at that place um, saw either one of our cars coming, um, he would he would just start panicking because it was like, oh, oh, shit, here come the insane dancers. (laughs) I mean, they all loved us. But boy, was that crazy. So. Um, do you tell, tell us some of your memories of that time, Marcy. I always laugh about that because I would have these costumes that cost more than my car. And I, oh would- yeah, me too. Hashtag <laughs> <laughs> me too. And, and more, more than my month's rent and more than my car. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I had, and I would roll up to these very high end parties and I roll is, <laughs> Roll roll is a euphemism for like your car would stall out at the, at the valet booth. I always say it was more of a putt, 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 putt up into the valet. And then I'd get out in this very glittering expensive costume because we wore our costumes. Um, when you're running from gig to gig, you didn't really have time to change. Yeah. And we had like five or six gigs a night in those days. It was crazy. yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you could, you would put something over the top, but I drove in my bug all the time, just in my costume. And in fact, I was just thinking the other day about coming home from a bar mitzvah at 2 a.m. And my car broke down on Sunset Boulevard, Hollywood Boulevard. And I was pushing it down Hollywood Boulevard at 2 a.m. <laughs> in my belly dance costume because I didn't have anything over it. And I was, you know, I'd push it and then I'd jump in the driver's seat and try and, you know, jumpstart, <laughs> you know, put it into gear and pop the cola. It was a... <laughs> I totally forgotten about that, but eventually I got it going. But yeah, those cars. <laughs> I got. I, I was. I was coming home from um, the Palms, which is. Um, it was a really famous uh, dike bar on Santa Monica Boulevard, um, where Jim Morrison famously hung out in the sixties. And um, I had just done like like someone's birthday a ladies night. And of course I was driving in a full costume too. And my 63 Rambler, that was the most broken down ever car that I ever had. And I really think that I was, you know, that car was the reason for, for triple a start, you know, like limiting the free tow policy because I would get stranded somewhere in that car. And, um, <laughs> and one time a tow truck driver came to get me and he, he like, 
got up to where I was and he looked in and he said, oh shit, not you again. And he drove away. <laughs> but so I was, I was driving home down Santa Monica Boulevard in this car and it started pouring rain and the windshield wipers in the car didn't work. So I had to stick my head out the window because it was raining so hard. And I had this big crown headdress and like a, a veil on and it was raining so hard that the veil got plastered to like the back window and like all the way around into the trunk. And I was going like about four miles an hour <laughs> and I got pulled over by cops and they, they thought I was drunk. And then they looked at me and um, I just like propped my boobs up a little bit more than the costume did. And I was like, and they're like, you're driving very erratically. And I was like, my windshield wipers are broken and I have to stick my head out. And then one of the cops just peeled the veil off the back window and started wringing it out. And he's like, how far do you live? And I told him. And so they drove in front of me and told me to drive behind them. And they, they got me home safely. Oh, that's so sweet. You know, yeah. I used to drive in my convertible bug down LA freeway with Kim and she would stand up and hold the rainbow veil up so we could pretend we we're on a flying ship and that we were sailing through starry skies and we turn on this ethereal music and that's how we would arrive at our gigs. <laughs> well, and that's the name of your new book that's coming out too. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, um, tell us the whole title, magic carpets, flying ships and moonlit kingdoms, right? Yep, the true travel stories of Marcy Darling. Yeah, and these, when we're just telling the travel stories in LA now, wait till you hear some of her her other <laughs> travel stories. So anyway, Marcy and Kim, her um, contortionist partner in Honey and Vermilion, they used to live in a in a place in LA called um, the Royal Palace because Marcy and I both have like royal palace fetishes and royal names. Like my dad's name is Princess Farhana. She graduated as Princess Bella Luna. Um, we've been obsessed with royalty and magic. And the royal palace was in the middle of this quiet residential neighborhood in West Hollywood. And somehow we started doing after hours um, strip tease parties with all the belly dancers that we knew and that, and those were just nuts. I mean, we would, we'd, we'd be so blasted on um, mushrooms and alcohol and everyone was smoking marijuana and everyone had fairy wings on and, you know, taking ecstasy and there'd be like, like a clusterfuck in the middle of a door when like three people's wings got entangled. <laughs> um, the, the leader of our dance troupe was a lawyer, a criminal attorney by day and a belly dancer by night and she she got so drunk one night that um <laughs> she passed out and she was snoring and this was in landline days and so we got like your phone marcy and someone else's phone um or something and we re we recorded or no we called we called her voicemail on your phone but recorded her snoring so she could hear it the next morning and then i took a cucumber from your <laughs> From, from your refrigerator and stuck it in the middle of her of her of her legal um briefcase you know and when she was really late and all hung over on her way to court the next morning <laughs> she, yeah, she pulled it epic. out such epic parties at that um because i remember for one party i decided i wanted a breakfast at tiffany's theme and the next thing i knew we decided to have a Christmas marabou theme and we put a big poster outside that said, welcome to the land of ho, ho, ho's. Yeah. <laughs> and mind you, when I say a big sign, I mean a poster board and a magic marker that was yeah. scotch to the, 
<laughs> and this royal palace was actually a duplex in a fairly sketchy neighborhood. <laughs> but to us, it was like royal because it had an orange tree and jasmine growing all over it. And it was, um, you know, all of our friends were dancers. So it was every ta- every get together was this massive, incredible talent show. It was so um <laughs> It was, it was girls only, but then we started letting some of our um, gay male friends in. But my, my fondest memory of that place is uh, the time that we were, we were, I think this was the ho, ho, ho party. We were having a Christmas stripping party and there was like a beautiful tree that was all lit up and there was um, stockings and stuff. And there was, there was a, uh, we would, we would, we would perform like really elaborate strip teases for each other. So there was, um, a girl was on the on the chair in the living room and she was upside down with her head on the floor wearing like beautiful lingerie and her legs up on the top of the chair and all the rest of us like i think you and dolphina were feeding each other grapes with with each other with the, with your feet you know like some arabian nights insanity and everyone was wearing tiaras and negligees and stuff and all of a sudden this bright light started coming in through the window and then there was a knock on the door you know it was LAPD and um you and I opened the door and, and then the, the cops were like really young rookies and they were cute. I remember. And they were like stuttering going, uh, 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 we, we got a noisy party call and we were, and you said, I don't know if you remember this. You said, come in, we need a cop stripper. Oh, I do. And I remember unzipping the front of his uniform and he was laughing and being like, Oh no, no, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh my God. Anyway. Um, they were they were so like shocked that it what there there wasn't like a fight with gang members going on that um we wound up like posing on the tops of their cop cars. We told them to put on the lights. Uh, they handcuffed some of us. And by the way, if you hear any clattering noises on this podcast, it's Marcy's rhinestone studded um handcuffs and she's also wearing a pink boa and we're recording this in the middle of the afternoon. So that's just how she rolls. Anyway, um I can't believe they let us like park. I, I mean, park our asses right on top of the cop cars and and put um put the lights on. And then speaking of parking, they they said, you know that this is a um a permit parking neighborhood. And we said, yeah. So they said, give us all your license numbers and we'll make sure that the cars don't get towed. Well, and also at that party, we opened our entire talent show with Pleasant as the Sugar Plum Fairy, and she. <laughs> Tutu at a crowd and came out throwing candy at everyone from a basket, skipping with a wand. <laughs> <laughs> and we did a dance to Elvis's Blue Christmas, was it? Something about the Cadillac. You and I did a, a, a show Blue, together. Blue Christmas? With huge crowns. Oh, Santa Claus is coming. Yep. And one of my favorite memories is Pleasant and I have birthdays two days apart. So we would always do a birthday week so and oh, we yeah. would make flyers oh, no yeah. media, we'd be like we'll be at michelli's at seven o'clock tuesday we'll be at the black light at nine o'clock and we have a different outfit different wigs for every <laughs> every night and whoever wanted to show up showed up and it was always so magical and always there was always an el andalus um pleasant and i met back at a belly dance showcase that anahid ran at Middle East Connection. And it was, um, I remember, I think we got paid $10. <laughs> we yeah, all, all, the, all the Arab clubs had live music. So that was kind of, we were on the work study program. <laughs> we were just starting, yeah. 
But, um, okay, so one of the, the other best stories of that, of uh, those days, the belly dancing days, was um, when uh, one of the girls that we knew brought this, um, her her new husband, her new, her new fake husband, like just so he could get into the country from Lebanon, into um, into one of your parties at 4 a.m. and she made him drag his um, his organ and well his piano and let's say his electric piano. <laughs> um, and, um, going when and some some of the dancers were panicking because he was a musician and there's we we always had to act like not like how we acted after hours at the Arab clubs. We always had to give the illusion that we were perfect ladies, you know. But so some of the dancers were really afraid that um that this guy would be in the you, you know in the clubs telling all the other musicians what he had witnessed you know which was like i said before just absolute sapphic debauchery it was insane everyone was in underwear we were dancing to, he was playing like the top arabic songs from that time and we were dancing around in g-strings and negligees sticking our tongues in and out and falling over and stuff and um, <laughs> I knew it wasn't going to be a problem with any of the other musicians finding out because he'd only been in America for a few weeks and we'd been working with the rest of them for years. And we were like, at that point, we were the top dancers in town. And <laughs> and if, if he had gone to tell the other, this was my reasoning, if he had gone to tell the other musicians what he had witnessed that night, they would never believe him. They would totally call him a liar. And I bumped into him like decades later, um, like a really long time later, like this was maybe like five or six years ago, I bumped into him at some um, dance festival. And I said, do you, do you remember the old days, Nabil? And he's like, oh, oh yeah, oh, the parties, oh, the parties, <laughs> like that. And I was like, did you ever tell any of the other musicians about that? And he looked at me like I was nuts. And he's like, no, Farhana, no. And I said, why not? And he goes, because they would never believe, never, never. <laughs> Uh-huh. I remember you always had to have a persona, like you had to enter as a princess and leave as a princess and um, and it upped your game, it upped your pay, everything, if you presented this illusion. So I remember one time rolling around on Santa Monica Beach and I was pretending to be a sea monster as by myself and I was rolling <laughs> in the waves and I was digging my elbows in the sand and like just getting in. <laughs> and, and some guy came up to me and is like, are you belly dancer? And I froze and I'm like, no. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, oh, you look exactly like Selena. <laughs> I said, hmm, I don't know what to tell you, but it was so, it was just a terrible moment because he obviously knew me, but I didn't really want him to witness me rolling around in the sand as a sea monster. I, I have another. I you were a sea monster. <laughs> I have Hashtag another. Self-care. <laughs> I have another funny story about that, um, about that era when back in the video store days, when I went to the store and we all had our royal names at my house and I I was having a brain, the, the worlds were starting to blend. And the guy who worked there is like, oh, Kim's account, because it was on Kim's account. But I thought he had said Kim's account. And I said, um, no. No, she's not. I thought that was such a bizarre thing to say. And he's like, no, Kim's a cow. I'm like, no, she's not. She's Kim's not a count. And he's like, oh my God, don't do this to me. I've been working since 9 a.m. Kim's account. I'm like, Kim is not a count. I mean, Farhan is a princess. 
Valerie's the countess. I'm a princess. There's no count. But anyway, it took a while before I finally understood he was saying account. I was like, oh, <laughs> account. <laughs> it was a terrible blending of words. And uh, and the whole line behind me was had their eyes were huge as I walked away. Because I still yeah. was in this other world. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Worlds are blending now. Let's let's talk about when um we we made a go-go troop. It was Marcy, our friend Kina and me, and um we had a go-go dancing troupe called Girls Marked Danger. Mm-hmm. And um we danced for we danced for the B-52s, we danced for Nancy Sinatra, but we got our start by dancing with the with the go-go's on their first um on their first like reunion tour, which was was that ninety seven? I think it was ninety seven. 99, I think. It was 99. 99. It was sometime in the 90s. We've had a lot of, as you can tell, we we have a good reason for losing brain cells here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, we we all decided to look like Bond girls. And describe our outfits, Marcy. Oh, yeah. Little black hot pants, little black hot half shirts. If they were the Go-Go's, we cut off their concert tank tops and then our Go-Go boots. I think you actually wore my mom's Go-Go boots from the actual 60s. Yeah, I did. And, <laughs> and we had we had these big, long, like, Bond girl falls. We all had, bl- like, black hair and we had these big, long, ass-length falls. And we would we, climb up on the Go-Go boxes. And we watched we watched the Tammy show over and over so we could watch the iCats. And then we just started choreographing the Go-Go songs. And we had like, some of them had acting out pantomime, like skid marks on my heart. We were all like driving with steering wheels and stuff. But um, one of Marcy's most famous moments, at least in my mind, was uh, that we were, we were on the tour bus with the girls and I, they had um, 1950s and 60s, like, um, home economics, like, getting your period films on nonstop on the Go-Go's bus. That was, like, the, it, was, it was on repeat. That thing never ended. It was always, like, you know, some some lady from the 50s showing a, a teenage girl who was playing records um, how to put on a Kotex belt. But... <laughs> Anyhow, so one one day we decided we were going to go in the crew bus um, of the the go-go's just just because the crew was so nice to us and hi jason this is for our friend jason (laughs) um so jason was like all hip and fun and crazy and the other guys were too but they were older and some of them had toured with like led zeppelin and bad company and motorhead and they they were used to like you know real original foul mouth rock and roll antics and stuff but um marcy scared the shit out of them yeah, like I, I saw all of their um, their jaws drop when I was looking towards the front. And when she started first telling this story, I could see their eyes like furtively darting towards the, the rear view mirror. Because I don't know how we got on the subject of it. But first of all, Marcy scared them all by saying it was sunlight and she didn't have sunglasses. And she, she was yelling, put the shades down. There's fairies exploding off my glasses. And so... They were kind of rolling their eyes at that. And then somehow we realized we should just talk among ourselves. So we started talking about what was the first time you came from masturbating. And um, so why don't you continue the story, Marcy? (laughs) Yes, I made the mistake of saying it aloud. (laughs) I was in a safe place. We were talking about first sexual fantasies. And mine was Siegfried and Roy. 
which I thought was perfectly normal <laughs> until the entire group went silent and then fell on the floor laughing. And the cousin was pointing at me and screaming, I knew you were sicker than all of us. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot that. <laughs> and then um, it became the joke of the tour and the last day, <laughs> the last uh, show, um, uh, an the envelope arrived at the Greek Wait, theater. At the Greek theater, yeah. And um, and very mysterious goings on about it. And we actually had sailor caps that we wore, and we decided we should have Pleasant decided we should all have a name with a letter and the name. So she was G Spot, I was D Cup, and Kina was C Note. Is that right? Were you? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um. They when I went when we all crawled out at the end of the show to get up on our go-go boxes, when I crawled up on mine, Pleasant had taped pictures of Siegfried and Roy and White Tigers all over my go-go box. No, Jason Nerodi did that. Oh, he did. Yeah. And then and then he also came out from under the stage doing Johnny Are You Queer and my sugar plum fairy outfit. And the go-go's didn't know that was gonna happen. <laughs> he was dancing across the stage. Oh my God. No, well, I remember, and still, the, it's been, what, tw over 20 years since then? I still occasionally receive a pair of white tiger socks from Pleasant <laughs> if she comes across anything with a white tiger on it, I receive it in the mail, which I actually um, <laughs> love. Well, okay, so this is a funny go-go story. When we were in San Diego, um, the... Um, Belinda had put a bottle of tequila in my car because it was open and it was in our dressing room. And we were driving home. It was like 2 a.m. And we, the, everyone had to stop at the Border Patrol, even though we were not in Mexico. And I decided to practice my Spanish. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, but I just, I only know three sentences really well. Hola, mi nombre es Marcy. <laughs> ¿Cómo estás? And they, they, were, they had no sense of humor. They were like, pull over. And you were drunk. Drunk, I was driving two hours. Well, I was like, no, no, I'm just kidding. Like, we're I don't even speak Spanish fluently, but they made us pull over. Plus, I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Unbeknownst to me, Kina had two joints in her pocket back when marijuana was illegal. And she kept saying, I need to go to the bathroom because she wanted to go to Porta Potty and dispose of the joints. But I kept saying, no, no, just I'll take you somewhere clean. Don't go to those Porta Potties. Oh, yeah, you kept arguing with her. <laughs> And they searched our car with the German shepherds and I had my cello in the back and because I just taken up the cello and the tequila and they were like saying, why is it smell like alcohol in here? So I just said, you know, hairspray because I'd heard hairspray actually can smell like alcohol and um, they ended up letting us go. <laughs> Thank God they didn't find the open bottle, but um, it was harrowing few <laughs> minutes. Yeah, that was that was like Midnight Express. Let's take a musical break right now, and we'll be back in a second.
Here we are back, Marcy, darling, and me. We just told some psychotic road stories. Now let's, speaking of being on the road, let's talk about your new book. And actually tell, tell, give a little description of all your books because um, she, she is a very prolific writer and her books are um, fic- nonfiction. And one of the first one is fiction based in reality though, right? My sort first, of, in your, in your alternate reality. My first two books are mystery novels and um, Martini Mystery takes place in New Orleans where I lived for seven years and it was my way of still living there because I almost died when I left because I, um, it was just really hard. I love New Orleans. Um, every chapter starts with a cocktail recipe. It's filled with jazz music and the amateur sleuth, the main detective who stumbles upon the murder and becomes a detective in that one is an ex belly dancer, burlesque dancer, um, which I thought was just great fodder for (laughs) mysteries. And, um, her name's Ellington Martini. Um, and initially it was going to be like a, the thin man, I actually call it like shopaholic meets the thin man, you know, stumbles into the Da Vinci code, um, while drinking with Nick and Nora, but it's, uh, because a set of, of things happened before my next book, the champagne scandal is the same character, but it takes place on the night of a hurricane. All these burlesque dancers have come over for a hurricane party because she is a generator and there are some burlesque costumes stolen. Um, her sister's a curator and has brought Josephine Baker's costumes and Mae West costumes, all these irreplaceable, priceless costumes. And they all get stolen during the party, but they know it has to be someone at the party because there's a hurricane. So, um, it, but then I had decided there some things that happened with my ex-husband that I decided he was not going to be part of the story. <laughs> the husband was no longer part of the story. So I had a lot of fun writing different ways for him to fall out windows and break his bones um, ways for him to have his demise, but he, um, actually, I think he did fall out of and break his bones. I think I did put that in there. Anyway, so Champagne Scandal came out last June, 2020. And then, um, so since 2017, my life turned upside down and everything just completely fell apart. And, uh, my father died three weeks later, my husband left and it just left me reeling. And I started writing something different. I started writing more hard. I, I didn't write for like a year cause it was just too awful and painful. And, um, at the end of that year, my best friend contortionist partner died, um, by suicide. So it was unreal and it changed everything forever. So, um, I started to write cause I didn't know what else to do or how to survive. And I wrote all these essays about, what I was doing to survive. Um, one, you know, service work, working with Make-A-Wish Foundation, um, trying to find the sparkle and glitter, even though I was in this dark swamp of grief. And um, dancing was very healing. And um, I started putting those out as little stories. And I was very surprised because I actually didn't, I'm a very optimistic, cheerful person. I didn't want to put out darkness, but I'm like, it is what it is, but I got a lot of, um, a lot of people resonated with it. So eventually it became my last book, Divorce Diva. It's about a lot more than divorce, but it's about how I coped with all the loss and, um, you know, coaching my son's flag football team, like all these situations I was thrown into, um, 
that I had no you idea how coach? to. I coached just flag football. <laughs> oh my God. Wait, what did you wear for that? I need to know. <laughs> I, I live in New England and I'm the exact opposite of everybody here. I'm very colorful. So I wear, always wear retro dresses, tutus, sparkle shoes. Oh, I know. But did you wear that to coach? Because I, I know did. that's your, your MO. You wore that to coach. That's amazing. I did because I first, first of all, I bought it. I get into themes. So I did buy a t-shirt that says football mom and glitter. And then I just didn't feel <laughs> like me. So I was like, I just got to dress like me and I'll run up and down the sidelines in my tutu because I have to. So, um, I did. And I, <laughs> I actually old um, habits die hard. <laughs> I know, and those those little kids—they were sixth grader boys, and they were just, you know. And you I ruined just, them for life. They're never. They're, I mean, no one's going to marry the girl next door. They're going. They're going to marry like the lunatic from, who sits on the top of the police car. I, know, I actually wrote in the essay that I hope when they grow up, they remember, you know, the crazy, brokenhearted lady running down the side of the field, you know, yelling at them to not give up. Because I coaching them actually was very healing to me because it felt like I was coaching myself because I would, you know, tell them they couldn't give up. But I felt like I was giving up all the time because I was so just grief stricken. And then um, this is kind of crazy. So then I sold our house and we moved into this new house and I'd had these boxes of journals and photos for 20 years that I hadn't even looked at, but I finally have an office with shelves. So I got it all out and I thought, Oh God, I forgot I'd gone backpacking. And I forgot that I had like all these fun little moments um, during my travel years. And I had never really put two and two together that traveling is a huge part of my, my life and who I am. And I feel very happy and ho at home when I'm on the road. And yeah, yeah I feel I like to be lost. I like <laughs> when I go to a foreign country and I don't know the language, I love that because it like my senses go on, come alive, and I love meeting people and I love hearing stories, even if I never see those people again. I just love new adventures. So I, I wrote this little story about getting lost in Italy. I got separated from my friends on the train in tiny little town in Italy before cell phones and internet, obviously. And um, <laughs> this little, all the little train workers were playing cards in these little uniforms. And I was trying to explain to them without speaking Italian. I didn't speak it back then my, that I'd gotten separated from my friends. And I, you know, back then, if you got separated, that was it. Like you weren't going to find each other again. But I kept being like, Arrivederci, me and me. I was like over and over again, like, bye bye, help. <laughs> and they thought it was so funny. And finally, I, they had no idea what I was talking about. I finally just hopped on the next train going that direction. And as I was on it by myself, I just, just like, well, you know, the adventure begins by yourself, Marcy. <laughs> uh, I saw this field of sunflowers and I just thought, okay, it's going to be okay. Like whatever happens is all good. You know, maybe I won't see them again. Maybe I will, but it's all good. So I wrote that tiny little story, almost flash fiction size. And then I was really surprised at the response it got. Um, so then I thought, well, I wonder if that's a one-off or if people are really interested in these stories and it turns out they are. So um, I started writing all these little stories. Um, people are very interested in, or these travel, these girls who love travel, um, traveling before internet and phone, cell phone. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think people are very interested in everything before internet phone and phones, not, not just travel, but I mean, like how we even, how we even <laughs> all connected, like how, 
how we like remember like even for gigs for belly dance gigs every belly dancer had a pager you know and you pull over on the freeway um you know and take on another gig or something i remember pulling over and going from payphone to payphone they were all broken i'd have to drive around these sketchy neighborhoods to try and find a payphone that worked and then you had to call and and that alone made you another half hour late because (laughs) it's already running late but uh yeah in the putt putt mobile Anyway, so then um, that is how the latest book came about. I just stood and I started um, writing these little tiny stories. Uh, and that I didn't start that until a few months ago. And that's my new book. Um, but is there is there like, um, because you, you've always led a very, very magical life. And we've always done rituals. And even like, even rituals before we went on stage. Remember, we would p- pray to like Josephine Baker and Salome and um, Lily Singh. We, we'd pray, Mata Hari, we'd, we'd pray to their <laughs> ghosts, you know, that we could have a good show. Yep. And um, we've always done magic and uh, we've always been really connected to fairies and just all sorts of supernatural crazy stuff. And like you, you and I both have just had lives full of insane synchronicity. So yeah. how like, Tell it, tell one of the stories from your book in, in like condensed form. Why don't you? Oh, well, they're all very condensed. They're all like a page or two long, but, um, there was, for example, I went to the Isle of Skye in Scotland. And back then, if you wanted to research your ancestry, you had to go to the country. You couldn't Google. <laughs> so I found out that there's this Island off of Scotland called Skye. That's gorgeous. And that's where my ancestral castle was. So him and I went and we, uh, you know, it was pouring rain and we went to my castle and we saw 13 rainbows in one day. We couldn't believe it. Kim and I were very, very, very deeply believed that we would see fairies because we actually met when we were playing fairies in Midsummer Night's Dream. And so we started chasing the rainbows <laughs> and we flipped the car around and we were sure we were going to find the end. And we were sure we were going to find the pot of gold. And every time we'd almost get to the end, they would switch directions and we'd you know, flip the car around and go to that end of the island. And um, I wrote how, you know, people will say, did you find the pot of gold? And I used to say no, but now I say yes, because the pot of gold was in spending time with Kim and looking for the rainbows. The pot of gold was in laughing our asses off, you know, driving all over the island and finding so much magic. I'm a bit of a rainbow lunatic. <laughs> People get do get scared. If I see a rainbow, I will start screaming like it's a rock star. And <laughs> yeah, me too. And I stop the car. I go crazy. And the last time I was in the Mirror Woods and Wine Country, I saw seven rainbows in one day. I was screaming like a crazy person. My daughter's like, "Mom, you're scaring Zara and Tanya." They were my friends. I was with um, who I had actually backpacked with back in the night, early nineties. But I and so I was telling Courtney. I said, "Well, Courtney, what do you do when you?" See rainbow. I mean, rainbow. She's like, well, I might smile. I'm smile to myself. <laughs> I might take a picture, but I don't scream. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Well, maybe I do overreact when I see a rainbow, but <laughs> I just can't even believe it. I cannot believe that those colors are hanging in the sky. So uh, I think everybody else underreacts. No, so, I I think so too. Yeah. Go yeah, ahead. So what can I we say? were only in Scotland a few days, but um, we. I mean, what what my book is are magical moments. So I actually wrote about how we went fairy hunting, rainbow chasing, bought these hats on Candlemaker's Row that, <laughs> with Kim's emergency credit card. And then I thought, 
those are actually three separate stories. So I was able to like tease them apart and tell them in three different stories. Um, and it was just so, we just had so many magical moments. Okay. This is crazy one. This one night in Amsterdam, our hotel room disappeared. We went out, we got a job belly dancing because we arrived in Amsterdam. Someone was holding a sign that said room for $15 a night. So we're like, great, we'll go there. So we decided to partake in um, magic mushrooms. And then we decided we needed a belly dance contortionist job because we were spending all our money. So we went to the police station um, <laughs> while we were intoxicated <laughs> and tried. They didn't speak English. We tried to act out that we were looking for a belly dance place. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine how interesting it would be to be a police officer in Amsterdam? I mean, my God, the things they must see. Wait, both of us have a long history with cops. <laughs> So I was dancing around, you know, the police station, trying to explain what I was looking for. Eventually they figured it out and directed us to this Turkish restaurant. So they invited us to dance there and to stay above it. So we moved over there, but the next night we danced and we knew everywhere at night because we were performers. So we slept all day. Um, so we're out at two in the morning. We were at Hard Rock Cafe. We thought, let's get the strongest pot. You know, we're in Rome. We may not, we're in Rome. We're in Amsterdam. We're in Rome. We may as well just go for the most powerful. And neither one of us were, were smokers or potheads. Needless to say, we tried this soup, the silver haze, purple silver haze, which means we went home. Back to, we, <laughs> I couldn't feel my ears. I'm like, I think we need to just go. Then we got to our alleyway where our hotel was or the restaurant was and our entire place had disappeared. The restaurant was gone. The place we were staying was gone. There was no like, door. You mean for real? Like yeah. for real. So we're walking up and down the alley and we're saying, I was right here. <laughs> like what? what has happened? It was just this giant iron wall. And um, it was blowing our minds. And then some guy came up eating French fries and was like being obnoxious and threatened to attack us. And I'm like, please. So I went and told the police. I said, listen, some guy back there was harassing us and they were like eating, they were also eating French fries and they were like, well, what are you doing in an alleyway at three in the morning, four in the morning anyway, two girls alone? I'm like, what are you saying? That it's okay that he attacked us because we're two girls alone in the alleyway (laughs) and we were looking for our hotel. Long story short, we had to use Kim's emergency credit card again to go find, go stay in a five-star hotel and we got there at 5 a.m. and we had to check out at 10. (laughs) But the next day it turned out that in Amsterdam, they close walls at night over a lot of the um, restaurants and, and stuff, and they lock up for the night. No one told us that. So we were able to get our stuff and head out to Paris the next day. Um, but So there's a whole section of Kim that's like Mexico and Amsterdam and, and Scotland and everywhere we went. And then there's a bunch of backpacking. There's a whole backpacking section of my book that's all about my backpacking years. And then my most recent trips, I took... Um, I I really feel like I need to have trips planned because I look forward to them and I love to plan them and think about them and what I'm going to wear. So in 2019 for my 50th birthday, this shit had hit the fan and I just decided I need to do my bucket list. And I took my kids to Venice. We took the Orient Express to Paris. I We decked out head to toe vintage feathers, etc. Paris. Um, and then we went down to Josephine Baker's castle. That's been on one of my dreams forever. Um, and then we ended in Burgundy and it was a very healing trip. And I planned this epic trip without really planning how I was going to pay for it. 
But I figured I'd figure out a way because I always call myself the poverty jet setter that I just find ways to to work it. <laughs> and I I, um, I call myself I, I used to call myself the trailer trash jet setter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ended up actually sold my jewels, all the Tiffany's jewels my ex had given me. I didn't want them. And I was going to start giving them away. And I finally ended up finding out there's a major, I sold them all on eBay and it paid for a big chunk of our trip. So I'm like, well, that's a way better use of that money <laughs> is to make memories with my kids. Yeah. That's um, Cinderella. Yeah. Called sell the jewels, take the trip. All right. Let's take a little break to listen to some music and we'll be right back. we're back and since i'm recording this podcast in la all you guys out there in podcast land may be hearing the police helicopter um circling around (laughs) it's really loud here where i'm recording it i don't know if you guys can hear it but um speaking of travel mercy i remember the first time i went to cairo I, i quit my job at the hollywood reporter and i just like I, I told my family and friends I'll be back in like eight weeks or something and just went there. But it took me a really long time, um, like a few days to realize what was missing from the noisiest city on earth, except for maybe um, Mumbai or New Delhi. Um, you know, Cairo is so full of sounds. And then finally, on like day three, I realized that, you know, even with like the the mosques going off like five times a day with the muzin calling and all the camels and all the horn honks. Like I thought it was lacking a noise. And then I realized I hadn't heard a police helicopter in three days. Oh. <laughs> and I missed it. Noisy. So um, do you have like another, I'm sure you have tons of crazy travel stories. Um, oh yeah. I actually wrote a story about Cairo because <clears throat> I really wanted to have the magic carpets in it. And I, um, Sometimes I find it hard to write about a place that's so rich and Cairo was so amazing in a very spiritual way. It was so strange, but yeah, I started crying. Like when I, the, the first time I went there, the minute my feet hit the pavement, like, cause that they had those, um, in those days in the nineties, the plane would lot would land and you'd have to walk across the tarmac and then I also, as soon as I got into the airport, I saw the sign that obviously said, welcome to Cairo, but it was in Arabic. And then I realized, oh my God, and anytime I'd been to Europe, like I didn't know the language, but I could just look and see what street I was on. And I, even though I knew that Arabic writing was different than, you know, Western alphabets, all of a sudden I was like, wow, I'm not going to even be able to read a map here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Right. I And I went there with... Um a friend was at imports children's clothes and he didn't want to get to get stuck in customs. So he asked me to bring him over and I was always up for a free trip anywhere. So, and I was staying with Arabic families, but I don't know what it was. I felt like 
I'm like, I don't know if it's the hieroglyphs, like they're transmitting something <laughs> that goes beyond my logical mind. But there was something so um, just rich happening there. And I felt so safe and so at home. And I filtered out like, you know, the dark parts, the trash, the straight animals, those kinds of things that made me feel sad. And I just, I mean, oh my God, the sumptuous belly dancers and the palaces and the peacocks and Hannah Halili's, you know, the jewels and the perfume bottles that are shaped like curling. I mean, just so beautiful. And, yeah, it's uh, so gorgeous. It's it's hard to believe, but it's it's got such a dichotomy of so like decent. poverty and wealth too. Yeah, I was riding on a camel named Moses around the Wait, pyramids. The first of camel's name was Canada Dry. <laughs> And the second one's name was Mickey Mouse. <laughs> right. Okay. So I was writing Moses around the the pyramids and it was raining and it was May. And I'm like, okay, this is so crazy because I feel so at home. I've never, I don't know if it was all my years of belly dancing and the undulations that happen when you're on the camel, but. Please don't tell me you scared Moses when you noticed a rainbow because it was raining. <laughs> I, well, here's what happened. We went to Alexandria and we were staying with, I don't know if you remember Talat Sharkis. He was, he was. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he would come to all the gigs. He, I was with his family in Alexandria and the men all left and it was women. And we were, they, you know, they all got up and started dancing after dinner and they were so raucous and so joyful. This is, this was a weird so I was dancing, I was talking to this little girl. She's, we, I speak a little bit of French. So she spoke French and Arabic. So we were, she was, you know, teaching me words, but I just remember this whole shift had happened because I had all these difficulties with my mother growing up because as a teenager, cause she wanted me to be a Mormon pioneer and I hate sewing and I hate bonnets and I hate sitting in the corner being quiet. So, um, you know, we were kind of at odds and I was 26 when I went to Egypt and I just remember dancing on that carpet, like something shifted in me. And all of a sudden I remembered everything wonderful that she did for me. And my whole relationship with her changed. Now she didn't change, like nothing else changed, but something about dancing on that carpet with all those women just shifted everything forever with my relationship with my mom. So it was, um, I don't know what caused it, but it was revelatory so that's why that's the magic carpets part of my <laughs> I'm like, what is this magic carpet that completely like shifted my relationship with my mother um but as you know I mean belly dance is such a universal language when you I find it wherever I go yeah and people that when I was you know in Africa with Mesmer on her belly dance safaris uh, we'd go into the bush and they it doesn't matter if you speak the same language or not because you are speaking the same language with your bodies so exactly. all the villagers in the bush would be dancing up a storm and we'd be dancing up a storm and words were unnecessary. Like you got it. There was so much joy, totally different cultures. You know, we just landed in and then went on our way and they, I just, I mean, it was really, I mean, travel is just so, uh, such an amazing teacher and a healer. And for me, it's, it's, you know, enrich my life in ways that I can't even say. And I mean, and, and that's what I would do. Like to me, I'd rather sell everything and just hit the road, which is my plan <laughs> for my future. <laughs> that's, that's exactly me too. Like I, my, I mean, obviously from like the bands, all the bands that I've been in and my dance career, I've been on the road nonstop since 1983. But in between that, 
I would travel, you know, like to other, I, I think traveling is like the best thing ever. Like it's, I've got total wanderlust all the time, always, you know, and there's so much, I, I will, I have like panic attacks sometimes, like fake panic attacks, just thinking, am I ever going to get to this country or that city or, you know what I mean? There's so many things I want to do and go to and stuff like, like I was supposed to go to Italy and then, um, you know, remember at the very beginning of lockdown or right before like American lockdown when like, remember when it came on the news that they locked down the entire country of Italy and everybody was like, what the fuck like what the actual fuck and then I just burst into tears like I didn't I knew it was like a bad medical and health situation for the entire world but how can you like lock down like an entire country it was just, it was surreal it was and you know what I know and when I took my kids to Venice I had been a couple times just for a couple days but I, we were there five days and I'm like is that too long like do we need to go to Slovenia Verona or somewhere like around Venice but it was so incredible that, I mean, five days was not enough. The food, I'm so jealous. I've never been to Venice. I took my kids to the opera in this palace on the water, this ancient palace, because I wanted to share with them my love of opera, which I had kind of lost during my marriage because my ex didn't like opera. So it's, <clears throat> but here's a magical story. <clears throat> on that night, we went to the opera. Um, two of the kids wanted to go. I had my niece with us too. Wanted to go get gelato. Annabelle did not want to shit on high heels but we decided to go so we went to piazza san marco it was late so it had been scrubbed but there were still the bands were still playing there was hardly anybody there but us but was the ice cream place still there no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> well right and this is the weird thing is that you know venice is usually really crowded and not known for its cleanliness and it was so clean but so we're there it's just been scrubbed Next thing I know, the kids have taken off their shoes and they are dancing so beautifully under the moonlight around the main piazza. And it was just one of those moments. It ended up being one of the greatest moments of our entire trip. And um, so this is a crazy story. So two years pass and, you know, maybe a couple months ago, I wrote the story and I put it on Girls Love Travel, which is a Facebook page with over a million women in it. And I said, this was a very magical moment in our trip was somebody messaged me and she said on my first night in Venice with my sister, we went to Piazza San Marco and we saw a girl dancing in a red dress and it was Annabelle. Wow. And she had taken a video of Annabelle, me standing there watching my kids as they were dancing, <laughs> but Annabelle was wearing this red dress. So she really, you know, made a memorable um, impression, but it was such an incredible, I couldn't even believe this. Yeah. The synchronicity of that was yes. high synchronicity. Yeah, so um but I feel like synchronicity has been a part of your life and of mine for like decades, for years, for ever since I can remember, right? Absolutely. A hundred percent. I can't even believe the things that happen. And actually when I read my journal from Egypt, the entire thing is I feel so aligned. Like this is so weird. I feel like I just think it, it appears. Yeah. It's really, <laughs> it's really wild. I wrote this story about swimming in Elba and which is off of Florence. And I met this girl who looked like a mermaid in the cappuccino cafe and she had this long red hair. And she um, told me about Elba and that Venus Aphrodite had dropped jewels into the sea. That's the legend of Elba. And the most beautiful jewel had become Elba. So 
I went, I was in this remote area. I was swimming around and I thought, God, I need a cocktail. (laughs) And guess what happened? A cocktail boat came up to this remote beach. I'm like, what is this island that you only think it and it appears? (laughs) This little cocktail boat came up. You wade into the water, you, you buy your, um, you buy your cocktail and your snacks and then you go back to your towel. I'm like, this is such a great idea. Oh, I just opened it too. But I wanted to, um, read you the very end of that. I said, so this happened in the year 2000 and though I had experienced my share of sadness, I did not know then how much heart shattering loss was waiting for me in the future. I look back at 30-year-old Marcy and I want to hug her and prepare her somehow for the massive pain that awaits. But there is no preparation for what is headed my way. Or maybe there was. Maybe the preparation was meeting a mermaid in a cafe who told me stories that sent me on an adventure. Perhaps the secret to healing broken hearts lies in looking up at glittering stars in a dark sky, swimming in a glorious sea that can turn from dark and stormy to brilliant and clear in an instant listening to fairy tales and legends and the deep understanding that the most precious jewels in my life are the experiences, the times I said, yes, yes, I'll take that trip, learn that language, dance in that fountain, take a moment to watch the girl with the long red hair dance in the piazza. If I was a love goddess, my precious necklace would be made up of a string of magical moments, experiences that I will treasure forever, that can never be taken, lost or stolen or dropped in the sea. Or maybe magical moments should be dropped in the sea. And every time we plunge ourselves in to swim, we're swimming in all the dazzling magical moments of others who have also plunged into the swirling sea. And maybe that's why it feels so wondrous and healing to swim in Elba. Some people have coins and jewels in their treasure chest. I keep mine full of stories. That's so beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful. So where can where can people find your books? Or are you doing any online kind of book appearances or in-person book appearances? Yeah, I don't have I don't have them on plan right now, but um, you can get all my books on Amazon, the usual, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. But, um, I mean, does anyone go to book and mortar, brick and mortar bookstores anymore? I don't know. <laughs> and I think now that stuff's opening up, if there's anything left, people are going to go to it. <laughs> yeah. So I just did a divorce legal book signing in New York on the Upper East Side. That was awesome. I had a big billboard in Times Square and that was a dream come true. And that was literally like three weeks ago. So now with this book, I have don't have anything scheduled, but I will. So if you watch my Instagram, Miss Marcy Darling, Facebook or... Yeah, all this will be in the, in the episode description. You, you guys can find her, find her and try to catch her in a bottle like a firefly. <laughs> That's right, or Tinkerbell. Oh yeah, Tinkerbell. Oh my so god. One thing, one thing that I write about, wrote about too, is about being robbed because I've been robbed so many times that it just quit bothering me. Because <laughs> as a traveler, you're like, oh well, you know. Um, so I wrote about how I was in Florence and I my backpack got robbed that had my most important things in it: my passport, my return plane ticket, my favorite red bikini. But. Um, I ran to the Carabinieri, which are the Italian police. And I was like, you know, me pasaporta, oof, over and over again, because I didn't speak Italian yet. And the adorable. You did some really exciting hand gestures, by the way. You guys can't see it, but I, I saw. <laughs> the, the adorable police officer was so cute. And he was listening to me and he went to rest in town. And I'm like, oh, God, thank goodness he's going to, like, take a report. He comes back and he has a piece of paper that says, 
would you like to go to the fireworks with me tonight? <laughs> did, you not, did you not hear a word I said? My passport's gone. And they're all laughing. And oh my God. And I actually found when I opened the boxes, a little scrap of paper from him with his phone number on it. And, and it said, I love you. <laughs> oh my God. So I never did find it, but I was like, oh, whatever. You know, you cannot, it's all replaceable. But I just learned uh, not to get attached to material possessions a long time ago. So, and not to let it bother me either. Yeah, it just, you know, you had it and it's gone. But everything else that you said, like travel and people and experiences and animals, I mean, all that is like just so much better. That's where the magic is. That's exactly where the magic is. The magic is inside everybody um, who sees magic. You know, that's what I always think. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, and I have so many amazing memories of Pleasant. Um, oh, my God. Just, just pulling out all the stops and being like the most creative, fun, <laughs> wild, um, just... I just remember you coming to my house and just talking all these beautiful, I don't even know what you were saying, but it sounded like poetry. And um, <laughs> so, so all these years that I have um, have known you, it's just, it's so, so delightful to talk to you. I live in New England. I don't know anybody else who has a similar history to mine. So it is so wonderful to talk to one of my tribe. Well, you know, you know, I grew up in New England, right? Mm. <laughs> How did I know? not know that. I don't know, but that's true. I grew up there in Middletown, Connecticut, and then in Northfield, Massachusetts. Oh wow! And then, and but but my true life began out here where, in Hollywood, where I was knew I was always destined to be, as I know that that was yours too. <laughs> yeah, but your parents were performers, right? Yeah, but like if we if if we even if they weren't, you know, like what like you and I would have wound up in Hollywood, um, if you know if interplanetary travel wasn't available yet. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Hollywood. And now that I'm a mom of a 17 year old daughter and I look at pictures of me back then arriving in Hollywood was just so much hotspot. And I'm like, Oh God, my, my daughter decides to go to Hollywood. I'm like, Whoo. Um, I never try to say no. I try and encourage her dreams, but, um, it is, it's an incredible journey to watch, watch, people grow and then to look back and see the things that we risked. And I mean, it's a miracle. We survived. I have all these pictures of me riding motorcycles with no helmet. <laughs> no, everything that we did all the time for, for decades though. I, I don't understand like how we're, I, I, I know. constantly wonder how, how I'm alive or how people I know are alive. I'm so driving home with, you know, boys driving us from Monte Carlo because we missed the last train because we were eating too many banana splits and like, never had I didn't didn't know a problem with them you know one, just, one time in Mexico I saw this thing it looked like a homemade thing that came out of like a Mad Max movie it looked like a biplane but it was all like sort of duct taped together and it was flying in the sky on the beach and I was separated from my friends and I just started flagging it down like as though you were in a movie on a desert island and it landed and the guy goes get on so I did <laughs> and then we went we went so far up and I was like just looking at the ocean getting farther and farther away. And then I realized I couldn't see my friends. And then we got up into a part of the clouds where everything just went total dull silence. And then it crossed my mind. 
okay, I'm in Mexico. None of my friends down on the beach know that I went up on this airplane, whatever thing. And like, I mean, if we fall, it's going to be straight into the ocean. And I was like, well, this is really cool though. <laughs> I, know. I mean, what a way to go. <laughs> I know it's insane. It's insane. I know. I, I wrote this uh, thing recently about, um, I was, I wanted to have, I was in Greece and I was, and I had told my Norwegian lover, I'll meet you under the Eiffel Tower in three weeks at noon. Cause again, there was no way to contact him. So I go to get on the train, but then I realized I needed Greek theater masks before I left Athens because we couldn't get them in the U S. So then I was on a quest to find the theater masks, which once again, resulted in charades with the cab driver to explain <laughs> <laughs> what I wanted happy. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you guys, she's making comedy and tragedy faces now for everyone in podcast land. I, why, like this? We should start an OnlyFans for this shit. I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> right. So it made me really late because I missed my train, but I did get the theater masks. But I was six hours late, and I was like, shoot, I missed him. And oh well, like here we go again. And then I ended up running into him, like crossing the street a couple hours later because I was just like, oh well. I guess I won't be meeting my Norwegian lover this trip, but, um, but in the end I had it all theater, love, my lover, my masks. I'm like, well, see, I won in the end. <laughs> Your masks. Everything I could ever want. Absolutely. Okay. Well, on that note, <laughs> it's been <laughs> so good to talk to you. I know we could probably go on and on and on about insane stuff, but you definitely have to check out Marcy's books, you guys. Her writing is really amazing. And as you can tell, her sense of humor is off the charts and her life has just been absolutely magical. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not even going into like the sick go-go stories on the fire escape in San Francisco. Sorry, teasing <laughs> you. <laughs> but that, may, maybe I'll put some of those pictures on Instagram. <laughs> we have those. We're going to need a podcast too for the more of the go-go stories. Oh yeah. Damn. Or, or read, read either or both of our upcoming books. <laughs> you, just have to, you just have to tell them about the pita when you were dancing with the lobster. Wait, what? When you were dancing with the lobster, the pita benefit for rock lobster. With oh, the, the pita benefit. Okay. So, Oh, okay. I'll tell one more story. Um, so girls mark danger after, um, after we danced for the go-go's the B-52s called us like a little while later. And there was a giant PETA benefit at, um, Paramount studios. They closed the whole entire studios. So, um, so that there could be this PETA benefit and it was all catered and there was like, just like, tons of bands playing and there was like Richard Pryor was doing it and Paul McCartney was doing it. Um, Kina, our girls, Mark danger, um, other dancer got, got to, got a kiss from Paul McCartney. I mean, who else was on it? I don't even remember. Well, oh, you I did Paul McCartney. Yeah. I didn't get a kiss from Paul McCartney. <laughs> and that's that pictures with people either. I'm like, I have no proof. <laughs> but um, um, but I have proof of being there. <laughs> um, Chrissy Hind was there singing. Wait, who? Chrissy Hind. Oh, that's right. Anderson, Tommy, Tommy Lee. I mean, they actually, I have the DVD. They made a DVD of that concert. Oh, I never got that 
But so anyway, they were dancing for the B-52s that night. And that, that was really amazing. Go, go dancing with them. And, um, I somehow, I saw Pamela Anderson in the audience and, and, um, she was wearing this big, beautiful sort of uh, pale yellow ball gown. And I, I just like practically jumped off the go-go box. And I was like, come up and dance with me. Come up and dance with me. And I was screaming at her. And she was shaking her head. And Tommy Lee was was going, go on, baby. Come on, come on, come on. And pushing her out of her chair. So she came up on the, um, on the go-go box and danced with me. And then a few weeks later, I got um, a call from my, my theatrical agent um, saying that... Um, Pamela Anderson's production company for her television show VIP, which was getting filmed at the PETA benefit that night. And we didn't know. We just thought it was a PETA benefit that they were going to use the footage of me pulling her up out of the audience and onto the go-go box. So I wound up being on VIP, which was her post, um, her post Baywatch television series. <laughs> and that's probably on YouTube somewhere. Who else did you pull up? You pulled up Lady Bunny, I think, and the lobster. Oh, I forgot the lobster from Rock Lobster. Yeah, there was someone in a lobster costume and Lady yeah. Bunny. That, and um, we, did, we did the make, make Them Laugh or Make Me Laugh, whatever that old TV show was. And that was Elliot Gould, Andy Dick. Oh, um, yeah, Andy Dick. <laughs> who else? Was, Lady Bunny. Uh, oh, my God. If you saw the footage, you. this is the amazing thing. Is some Occasionally two in the morning. I'm like, I wonder if any of this is online now. And it is people. Well, I, I never saw any of that except for VIP. So I got to watch it. Yeah, I have it all. I mean, if you just Google the make them laugh thing, you can find the entire thing on YouTube. I found a commercial I did for British Airways in 1988. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God. It's so it's kind of crazy what you can find. I mean, literally. I Oh my God. Crazy. Okay. Well, find find us all over online in various incarnations. (laughs) Belly dancing on the Walton. We nationwide. We worldwide. I belly danced for John Boy's bachelor party on the Walton's movie of the week. And everyone watched the two hours and then they cut me out and they were so mad at me, my family, because they had to sit through the Waltons for two hours. Oh yeah, I was I was on the nanny belly dancing. I remember. And then I yeah, I actually have the footage though. I begged them for the dailies and I have all this footage of me out the out you know, dancing with Richard Thomas, who was John Boy, and all the John all the Walton male fan. It, it's very surreal. It's actually on YouTube. It's hilarious. <laughs> On my page. Not only knows what else is on YouTube of anything we've both done. I swear to God, we haven't found it. Uh, we haven't found all of it yet. Anyway, it's been so good to talk to you, Marcy. And you guys, check her out. Check her out. She is a ball of fire. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Mwah. That was Marcy Darling, my wonderful friend, my wonderful, crazy, lunatic, super talented friend. Check out all of her books, her most latest being Magic Carpets, Flying Ships, and Moonlit Kingdoms. You will not be disappointed, trust me. All right, until next time, this is Pleasant Gaiman, signing off on The Devil's Music.
The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks. At the Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com slash workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. You used to associate crickets with silence. But since you bought a house in the suburbs, you know crickets hate silence. If any other creature realized rubbing its legs together made a piercing high-pitched noise, they might think, maybe I won't do that. Constantly. All night long. Luckily, you can save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto. Now that's something to make noise about. Just not constantly. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.